You can skip this meeting info disclaimer by going to the two minute and 30 second mark. This is a comedy show about black mental health and race. None of the views expressed here should be considered advice. This is a content and trigger warning. Some audience members may find the show's content to be harmful and disturbing. Not as annoying as this fucking music. This comedy discusses issues that are adult in nature. You must be 18 or older to listen. The views expressed are independent of any podcast platforms or sponsors. Now that we've eliminated, exploited, or offended everyone in the known fucking universe, please enjoy the show. If you have an actual emergency, please dial 911. Peace. You have public access to listen to this Zoom meeting live. Friday nights after midnight, around 3 a.m., actually Saturday morning, which is 3 a.m., by dialing in at 646-876-9923. That's 646-876-9923. Welcome to Zoom. Enter your meeting ID followed by pound. Our meeting ID is 819-6724-8120. That's 819-6724-8120. Meeting ID. The passcode is 307404. That's 3074 zero four thank you and we'll see you inside our zoom meeting on black mental health and race you are in the meeting now you are the first participant please stand by cool assalamu alaikum brother peace to god uh, we are in the week of March third uh, or March fourth. After twelve o'clock, March fourth, twenty twenty-three, brother. You are listening to Black Mental Health and Race. I am your host, M.F. Doug, and my co-host is Dr. Moore. Welcome to another beginning of the show, brother. Yep. Um, what's going on? Your universe. Not much, bro. I am uh, awaiting uh, uh, my son's um, arrival. Um, it is. It is midterm. Um, wow. So um, this is his first plane trip alone. So he's flying in from um, South Carolina State um, right. tonight uh, or this morning. Um, and so he should be arriving probably in a couple of hours. So I just been checking on him to make sure he's all right, you know, at the airport, and figuring mm-hmm. out how to navigate that, you know, system on his own. Um, 
So, um, but he's leaving uh, out of Columbia or Charlotte. No, nah, he's leaving out of yeah. He's leaving out of Columbia. He had to um, South Carolina State is in Orangeburg, so he had to um, get from Orangeburg, South Carolina, to Columbia, South Carolina, where the airport is, and then he'll be flying out of um, Columbia, Ishala, uh to DC. Hmm. That should be an experience. Yeah, it has been, because um, he's been at the airport probably since about six. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Make you come early now. Don't do well, all your stuff. Well, as, yeah, yeah, definitely had to come early, but he wasn't, he didn't need to go that early, but um, his mom booked the ticket uh the the hours at those hours so um <laughs> and his dorm they wanted them out of the dorm rooms by four mm. so um he had to leave the dorms at a certain time and so right. he just decided you know he would just go to the airport and post up right Hopefully, you got a lot of patience. It's a lot of waiting time. I don't have patience, and that's why I used to enjoy flying, flights, taking flights, and um, not so much after um, September 11, 2001, because now you have to sit there, sit there, and I'm not a, a sitting person like that. I could sit if I have to work, but um, if I just have to watch the clock, it's hard to keep my mind occupied where that becomes irrelevant. Like I'm waiting, waiting, I'm constantly looking at the clock. It's probably like a OCD behavior, that's a compulsive uh, disorder behavior or something to that effect that makes me that uncomfortable. But um. Well, I think the brother, everything goes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think um, in situations like that, you know, um, killing what Malcolm said, I try to not ever um, get caught in any place without a book. You know, I, I I don't I don't think I ever leave the house during the week without a book, and I don't think I ever travel without a book. I know, in fact, mm. I know. Right. That because I, I, I do remember vaguely now when Malcolm said that, and in fact, in fact, that was one of the um. The things they tell you in the nation always have um, something to do, even when you have idle time. There should be no idle time. All right. All right. You should not ever, in situations like that, um, you know, I'm always, I'm always, you know, probably going to have some reading material with me. And probably more than one source of reading material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Well, one of the things that um 
prevented that for me was the issues with my eyesight. So it made it even worse. I, I think it exacerbated the situation because of not being able to read physically. I'd have to um, focus on like audio books, which could be per- very good, but they're not as good at distracting you from the outside world because you can still see people around you and people trying to talk to you. Oh my God. Don't sit next to a talkative person, brother. Oh my. Um, what do they call it? Cruelty? Unusual. <laughs> Cruelty. Sitting, ber- sitting next to, while you're traveling, sitting next to a person that wants to talk you to death. Well, <laughs> I think, um, I don't know. That's but, not you, brother. <laughs> no, it's definitely not me. But what my kids tell me, I have told me, and I've been told this a number of times, but I think it has some relevancy because, you know, they um, have been around me a significant amount of time, but they told me that I um, don't look approachable. Right? And so, um, I concur. Okay, so I mean, it's not something that I'm aware, I am aware but um, I, you got I, that stare. You, you stare at people like, "What the fuck you looking at?" Yeah, that's what they say. I have this look on my face, like you know. You even say one word. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my son said that he should tell me. Um, like I, I remember when he turned. I, I've said this before. I don't know if he was sixteen or seventeen. But he was like, Dad, I really get you now. You know? Um, and I was like, what does that mean? He was like, I, I, I just get you. He was like, um, you know, like his friends used to always be like, man, your dad is serious. Your dad is always serious. Your dad is mean. You know? And, um, he, you know, when he got older, he, would, he said he could explain it better. He was like, you know, no, my dad is just serious. You know, you can't talk to him about stupid stuff because he won't you know he don't, he don't talk about stupid stuff right? mm-hmm. and, and so um so yeah I, I don't really have that problem man most of the time um people don't really approach me like that people don't really you know try to give me conversation i i think because they can't read me you know they, they, look right. at me and they don't know what to think like uh, you know like it's through like you know, he got some problems. Like, you know, he's angry, or, you know, or he's mad about something. <laughs> the angry black man. Angry yeah. man. Like mom. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean I and I'm not aware of that look. Um but if if it is I that look then... okay. Well, I, I try to do it uh, on purpose. Uh, by the clothing I wear. It's usually some type of black military <laughs> outfit. And when people get on the train, they go the other way. 
with the bus, it's less likelihood that you can go the other way because there ain't, ain't no room to, to move around in a bus. But um, people be leery to stand next to me. <laughs> what is this dude doing with the old black on? And it's silent. <laughs> no, he crazy. <laughs> This nigga got on shades at night. <laughs> it's damn foe. Yeah. Let's yeah. get into this show, brother. <laughs> we are here to talk about black mental health and race. Um, forgive us for our little uh, pre-show antics. Um, we want to talk to you about something serious. Don't take it too serious, but uh, at least see if you can gather some insight from our conversation tonight, a conversation between two black men about what's happening in the world and in the context of our race, which we find to be important. Maybe you will, too. Um, uh, first, you got to start off with telling people to be very careful. Um, like with Tyree Nichols, who lost his life to the police, and um, the Murdoch family, Maggie and Paul Murdoch, who lost their life to the now convicted killer, we don't have to say allegedly anymore, um, Richard Alex um, Murdoch. Is now a convicted killer. It took them less than three hours of deliberation, brother. And the judge that we talked about, uh, I think it's uh, Judge Newman, I'll have to uh, verify that again. But um, the black judge, one of a few black judges in the South Carolina um, sovereignty or state, that um, sentenced uh, Richard Alex Murdoch to consecutive life sentences, one for Paul and one for Maggie, rest in peace. Maybe their souls rest in peace. I know this is a tragedy that is going to be um Hard on the family because here you have the loss of two people that you're endeared to as family members, and then you find out that um, another family member may have been responsible for this. That is something very difficult to deal with, but um, the thing tonight, or at least in this discussion, this little bit of uh, discussion was about being careful in certain situations like this where it's your family members or it's uh, law enforcement. These are unexpected killers, but they do happen and they become such um, scandalous news that people enjoy watching. Some of Some of us do, at least. Any uh, comments on any of this, brother? 
Well, my thought process is that <clears throat> um, this guy, um, Murdoch, comes from four to five generations of lawyers and wealthy mm. white folks in South Carolina. Um, mm. They have what we call old money. Um, and privilege. Yeah. And in fact, <clears throat> the same courtroom that he was sentenced in, they had to take down the pictures of his grandfather and father um, in the courtroom so that the court couldn't be biased or wouldn't be biased mm -hmm. in the court mm -hmm. case. Um, I thought what was um, more interesting um, was this black judge doing the sentencing. And I think when I hear people say that voting doesn't count, voting doesn't matter. I look at situations like this where you've had four generations of wealthy lawyers and judges who have probably for generations sentenced black people to the same type of punishment by law that this black man today as a judge is sentencing the son of slave owners to the same type of sentencing that they have sentenced black men to for years. And so when I hear black when I hear black people or people say that there has been no change I look at situations like that and it makes me show them how voting matters and how change matters. It is your acknowledgement of change that's your choice. But when you say that change and voting doesn't matter, I look at situations like this in a town like this, in a history like this, and this is the epitome of change, and this is the epitome of voting. Hmm. And how would voting help us in this situation? Well, voting helps in this situation is because if you didn't vote, those judges don't come by not participating in the voting process right you 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 those those judges and people like that it's just like when trump was in office right if you vote a person like trump in then your voting allows him to appoint judges right mm -hmm. so when you vote in that South Carolina legislation and, and, and things like that, those people appoint those judges. So if you're not participating mm -hmm. in that process, right, then you're not participating in who's going to elect and appoint the next judges. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir.
There is, um, we are at the 33-minute mark in the um, Black Mental Health and Race, BMHR. You can search for the term B as in black, M as in mental, H as in health, R as in race, hashtag BMHR. And you can find us on iTunes. It's the best place to listen to us. It helps our algorithm. Um, but you can also find us on Anchor and Spotify. Or just do a regular Google search of BMHR. Um, we um, invite you to listen in and uh, be a part of this experience. Um, brother, I had to move on to, uh, we got through the whole month of, uh, Black History Month, um, and we missed last week, uh, due to my sickness, um, still a little under the weather, but, um, I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't mention, uh, Savior's Day in the Nation of Islam. And also the um, historical anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X that took place February 21st, 1965. Both are significant in terms of Black History Month, although we have moved on to March as as it now occurs, uh, which is the uh, history of women or dedication to women, the month of March. Um, But um, any um, conversation on the assassination of Malcolm X, um, particularly um, the family of um, Malcolm X is now uh, engaged in a lawsuit against the, uh, I guess, the federal um, and perhaps the state <clears throat> alleging that um, the NYPD and the um, uh, special sections of law enforcement may have um, compromised the uh, safety of Malcolm X in a lawsuit for $100 million. Um, the Nation of Islam has its annual Savior's Day, who were accused of, allegedly accused of um, killing Malcolm X in jealousy and rage. Um, but now this lawsuit in connection with the, um, speaking about the Savior's Day in the Nation of Islam, Uh, who were the alleged accused, this lawsuit is very different. It's even very different from the Netflix special on who killed Malcolm X because it's not alleging uh, the nation's involvement, but it's going after the people who may have been allegedly involved in its success. 
it's going to be a fascination. Any words or comments or initial thoughts to start a conversation on any of those two subjects? No, um, not really, bro. I don't feel like um, I am in a position really to speak on or be an authority on on that. Um, I have mixed feelings about the brother who um, uh, put this special out on the assassination of Malcolm X and who's now doing classes uh, on Malcolm X. Um, I know that he really wanted to involve um, Minister Farrakhan uh, in the connection of Malcolm's assassination and um, members of the Nation of Islam. I know that he was very strategic and careful not to catch a lawsuit by doing that. Um, while I think the brother um, did do some diligence in terms of his research, um, I feel like he has a personal vendetta or something personal against the nation of Islam and Minister Farrakhan and that makes me biased in terms of his work. Um, Indeed. But, uh, but as it relates to... You talking about Rothman? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's involved in this lawsuit. No, it, I don't know if he's... I don't know if he's... In, I don't know if he's involved either. Whatever he has to say about the nation, anyway, <laughs> it which which is so important to me because a lot of people believe the nonsense that the um, Zach Condos and the Ali Rahmans have to say about the nation, but this lawsuit is going after the people that may have been the only power to administrate or facilitate an assassination. They would have to turn their backs and allow five people to come into the Autobahn ballroom and shoot somebody in broad daylight and escape. Yeah, but the, the hardest part about that is, is being able to substantiate it or prove it. Um, I don't have a problem with mm -hmm. them bringing the lawsuit. Uh, but I just think that it's just going to be very challenging for them to prove that. Um, I don't know how now, possible that's going to be. Right. Now, Martin Luther King's uh, family won their lawsuit. Um, they, they, um, they sued, uh, I forgot who they sued, but um, they, they implicated the law enforcement in the involvement in the murder of um, Martin Luther King. Um, this was like a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think I it was easier. I think it was right. easier for Martin Luther King than it was um, right. than this for Malcolm because you don't have that third party, right? You don't have a third party where they inject the nation and black right. people, you know, as the actual killers, where with Martin it was just a white and black thing and an FBI thing. So you, you, when you, 
because they were able to blame these black people for Malcolm X assassination. But with Martin Luther King, you know, it went straight to, you know, this white guy who right. allegedly assassinated him. And then, right. you know, who who hired him, that type of thing. So uh, I think that case was a lot different or is a lot different. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I wish them success in what they do. Um, were you able to watch the um, Baby's Day speech of um, Minister Farrakhan? I have not. 2020. I have not, and I'm probably gonna end up watching it in bits and pieces. Um, but um, I, I'll be completely honest with you, brother. I don't like watching the minister, um, and his lack of mobility at this point, and. It's hard for me to watch him um, in the way that I used to watch him. And I almost feel like it's it's really difficult for me to for, for me to watch that. And um as much as I love the minister, I I I I really wish I'm very careful about what I'm saying because I don't want to offend anybody. But um I wish there was a more vocal Malcolm at this time. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I I don't like still seeing the minister as the pioneer of the nation. Um, I want to see a young, fiery minister that has been groomed for that position. I feel like while there are some, I don't feel like they're getting the recognition that they need for the nation to continue to be the force that it has been. And I think if they're not careful, if the minister passes, it's going to cause the nation to really fall again. Like the rise and falls of civilizations, brother. Yeah. I would say. Because it it, it was. But you may have been a little uncomfortable to say. I respect the nation of Islam. I respect um, Minister Farrakhan and all his valuable work. But this is not the same person that we've grown to love and be endeared to. This is um, someone which something to prove and like you said I have to be careful with my words but he has to prove that that he's still the leader and still in charge and um, 
because of his um, physical debilitation, we've seen him fade away right in front of our eyes. And as you may have suggested or implied, um, there needs to be someone within the organization that um, doesn't put that out in the forefront. Um, there's, if you compare the U.S. government, they have a limitation on age um, that you can be the president of the United States. And um, Biden, by the way, President Biden, I can give him that title, is really at the edge of his time for leadership. And um, a lot of people were concerned about his age. Now we're talking about ageism, uh, the nation of Islam, and just uh, leadership in general. But there's a reason why young leadership is needed for the vitality of an organization, a government, or any endeavor in which you choose to gather a lot of people, garner a lot of support for. Um, so I'll say it, brother. He looks old. He looks weak physically. And I don't even think he's sharp mentally. And it, it was discouraging to see all of the notes that were prepared for him. In like fashion, as before, he didn't follow the notes. He just went on talking about the um, talking about Allah and how there's going to be a war of Armageddon where the wicked will be confronted. And that's all well and good to me. I'm just giving my opinion now. But um, as we were taught in the nation, in our heyday of the nation of Islam, God works through men. I didn't hear any talk of uh, working through men to get this, not war, I don't want to start a war with anybody, but to get this nation fired up to build what we can build and make this earth something that we can benefit our people from. I don't see that in his latter speeches. And probably rightfully so. As you get older, you mature. But sometimes that maturity uh, may, may backfire. But I will say this in uh, defense of Minister Farrakhan. What we don't want is to replace it with young leadership. Because then we have the situation of Dr. Khaled or the situation of Malcolm X when it came to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. We have the voice that will give rise to the people, but rise them to do what? 
if we are looking for a war with anybody, that is our first mistake, which is why I started off the podcast with be very careful because there will be no one to protect you when they shoot your leaders. You are fair game. So I thought I'd put that out there. I know a lot of people ain't going to like it, but um, I'll say it, brother. He has, um, he's 90 years old. And he's not going to give up that leadership. And so when he does, by natural causes, not able to hold that leadership together anymore, like you may may have even suggested, there will be a power struggle within the nation of Islam. That is concerning. That is um, disheartening. Because if you got all of these little um, baby planes with talent, only one can take the head. And that is where you get factions. And those factions break off like we had with Salas Muhammad during Elijah Muhammad's time, Wadafuddin Muhammad during Elijah Muhammad's time, the 5% nation, all of these factions and groups. Um, I'm, I'm reading the books. Oh, I'm talking too long. But let me say this last point. I'm reading the book Age of Faith by Will Durant, and they were talking about what happened after Prophet Muhammad of 1,400 years ago, may peace and blessing be upon him. How when he left, there was so much division, so much um, lack of leadership, because everybody wanted to do things their way. And I don't think um, the Muslims globally have recovered from the absence of the Prophet Muhammad 1400 years ago. I think I said that correctly, brother, but I'm talking too much. I just want you to get back in it. And we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Black Mental Health and race.